Welcome to Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and equips you to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about maybe a thought today that you've never really thought about. Here's the thing. If I was to ask you this question, I'm convinced in this room you've got the answer to this question, okay? The question is, you don't have to say it out loud because I'll give you some of the answers, which I know you'd say, but here's a question. Why did Jesus come? Why did he come? In your head, if you had to answer that, what would you say? Why did Jesus come? I think for some people, they'd say, well, Jesus came for sinners. And if you said that, you're right. You, you would say, well, Jesus came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. Got that one too. Some of you would say, well, he actually came to serve. Matter of fact, in the Bibles in Matthew, he said, I have come to serve and not to be served. You'd say Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And here's the deal. You've got it all right. You're good. You're four for four. You're batting a thousand. I think we know why Jesus came. The question I want to ask you today that you may not know is this, how did Jesus come? Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Rich, it says in the Bible that Mary got pregnant, Holy Spirit had something to do with it, and Jesus came as a baby. You're right. That's how he came. But when you look deeper into the scriptures, you begin to see this thing that Jesus begins to do that links us all the way back to this idea that we're talking about today of people. Because how Jesus came and how Jesus chose to live his life while he was here on earth as a man of flesh, yet God, is vitally, vitally important to what we're talking about, okay? So I would say, how did Jesus come? Some would say, well, he came preaching and teaching and healing. You would be right. But I want to show you in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, how Jesus came in a more specific way and why it really matters to us. Here's what the scripture says. The son of man, speaking of Jesus, watch here, has come eating and drinking. Let me pause there again. The son of man has come eating and drinking. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor Rich, it's 1109 and I'm hungry. Please stop saying that statement, right? But watch here. And you say, look, a glutton, a wine bibber. It's a New King James Version. What a name right there. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. All right, so the question, how did Jesus come? See, some of you are more like Jesus than you thought you were. Because Jesus came eating and drinking. Now, now look at me very carefully. This is not to assume that Jesus was a drunkard, okay? People read this scripture, and you see the context here, and you say, well, man, Jesus came eating and drinking so much so that a group of religious people who had nothing else better to do, by the way, looked at Jesus sitting with tax collectors who were despised and sinners who were despised. And that Jesus guy right there, he is a glutton because all he does is sit down and eat. And he's a drunkard because all he does is drink. It's not what it's saying. Yes, he was eating. Jesus was not a drunkard. Yes, he was drinking. But here's the point. Everyone look at me real quick. Jesus was eating and drinking so much that people called him that, but who was he surrounded by? People. I think, myself included, that when we look at the scriptures, 
that all we think is that Jesus did a lot of walking, a lot of preaching, a lot of healing, a lot of sleeping, a lot of departing. to the, He did all of that. But for Luke to say that people looked at Jesus and goes, goodness gracious, is that all he does? Guess what? Mm-hmm. Jesus consistently put people around him and he lived life with them. See, we're talking about the number one commodity to God, and that's people. If healing was the number one thing, that's all Jesus would have done. If Jesus coming to die for our sins is the purpose, and it is, but if that's all it was, then the Bible would record Jesus came down from heaven, grew up in like one day, times 33, died, and went back to heaven. It's not what he did. 33 years he lived on this earth. At the age of 12, we see him, he's in the synagogue and his parents lost him. If you've ever lost a child, hey, so did Mary and Joseph, the very son of God. No pressure. But when we see his earthly ministry, three years, he consistently put himself around people. People were so important. So what I want to do is I want to look at the imagery of Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Back in Bible college, I actually took a class, believe it or not. And, and some of you guys who are at Cal Poly taking bowling as a class and all that stuff, don't look at me crazy, although I think that's rad, by the way. Met with a college student a couple weeks ago, and one of his classes is bowling. I'm like, how do I sign up for that? I don't even like bowling, but it sounds good. I signed up for a class in Bible college, and here was the class. It was all built around New Testament meals and food. Interesting, right? And here's why it was so important. Because upon taking the class, one of the things they said is that what a lot of people, especially in Western culture, which is where we find ourselves, they, they literally take the whole meal and they relegate it down to, man, I got to pull dinner off, hurry up, sit at the table, okay, eat your food, put your stuff and go do whatever you want. But back then, that wasn't how it was done. It was an extravaganza every single day. Eating meals was an hours and hours of time together. Yes, hours around the same family members, hours and hours. It's like Thanksgiving every single day. And it, no, you guys don't have that pressure? Okay, cool. So it was all this time of eating and eating, but they were convinced that real deep fellowship was actually found around a table, eating a meal. Actually, they would go on to say that many people believed that you truly experienced God the best while eating a meal. When you read the book of Revelations, you know what it talks about? It talks about the banquet table surrounded with those. I know it's kind of a, a picture to put into your mind, but what I'm trying to get you to understand here is I think sometimes we have this evangelism thing completely messed up and backwards. If I was to ask you the question right now, have you ever led someone to Christ, what would your answer be? Don't beat yourself up, but what would it be? If I was to have you lift your hand if you did, I don't want to do that because I don't want to embarrass anybody, could you say you, you have? Or have you not? Sometimes we relegate evangelism to I have to put myself out in the community, find a person, spark a conversation, and actually think in 20 minutes that I could lead them to Christ with no relationship, with them not knowing me and me not knowing them. And so therefore, it's, it's too big. Just reading this passage of scripture and this whole idea, 
And I started to think, okay, if Jesus is sitting at a table eating and drinking with his disciples and he's surrounded by tax collectors and sinners, what are they talking about? You ever think about that? Now, Jesus was human. And Jesus was surrounded by 12 guys all the time. Okay, all the gentlemen in the room. If you put 12 guys in a van, 15-passenger van, need a couple seats for some luggage, what do you think you're going to talk about? Some of you are like, I'm not answering that in church. (laughs) Dude stuff, right? You're surrounded all the time. See, I think Jesus, being human, I mean, he's surrounded by 12 guys. Man, they're having normal conversations. And I think sometimes we relegate Jesus to only spiritual, deep, religious conversations. But I think Jesus, man, without being disrespectful, was a good old boy. I think he had some fun with those disciples. How could you not? Those guys were wound up so tight. I'm pretty sure Jesus, I mean, he's Jesus, by the way. Dude can do whatever. I'm sure he had some fun with those guys. I mean, let your imagination run wild for just a moment. And make Jesus fun for just a moment, okay? He'd be doing some stuff. Why not? Peter's over there chopping off dudes' ears, going crazy all the time. I mean, he knows Judas is going to, like, betray him. And I'm just thinking Jesus had some fun. That's all I'm trying to say. But I also think that Jesus, because he spread himself around a table all the time, had some great conversations with people. And I think that Jesus and the words that he spoke started to speak to those tax collectors and sinners because people began to get saved. They began to know about Jesus. So what I'm trying to say to you is sometimes the greatest thing you will ever do to a person that you work with or live by or whatever is just to simply say, hey, would you like to come over on Saturday for a barbecue and just live life with people? Let them get to know you. Let them see how you conduct yourself around your family. Let them see how you spend time with your kids. I, I, all week long, of course, you know, sitting in one degree weather in Colorado, whoever decides to live in Colorado, you need to pray for them. <laughs> I'd walk outside, I'm like, this is, this is not normal. And I just began to think about this whole idea, and all of a sudden it dawned on me. I was up top sitting in a room. My dad had his heart attack on the job site. He's a pipeline welder. My dad's a good old boy. He drives a big old F-250 with a 1,900-pound welding rig on the back. I mean, I call him a man's man. And uh, had a heart attack right there on the pipeline. Actually had four. And so I walk into the hospital, and this whole thing was on my mind because this was ready for last week. And I'm thinking about this whole idea. And all of a sudden, this pipeline union decided that with him being where he was and because he was alone, decided that his welder's helper, which every welder has a helper, that he was getting paid to go and sit in the hospital all day long. Then they did this other thing where they take these welder's hats, which don't really look like hats, but they're just kind of what they wear, and they begin to pass it all around. And they begin to chip in money because they know this guy's going to be out for a long period of time. And I'm hearing all these stories. All of a sudden, we're at the hotel, and we've got my dad's truck, and my my Uncle Tim is with me, and he looks a lot like my dad. We literally walk out, and all the guys go, hey, you you look like Mike Horn. Are are you related? Yeah, that's my brother. And all of a sudden, these guys begin to share all the stories of all this stuff going on. And it was like one big group of people, of a community that were concerned about this one guy. And then they started to say this, man, that Mike, man, he's a good old guy. He goes, every time I come to work, that guy's preaching to me. It's like, Wow. 
Then the next guy comes in and says, yeah, one time I was out on a weld and I was doing something. We started talking about this and I opened up about my family. And all of a sudden he says, hey, you know what the Bible says about that? And he started witnessing to me. We get into the hospital and his welder's helper, we begin to get to know each other and talk. And he begins to share stories who literally he got in a fight a couple weeks ago on the pipeline. And my dad literally went over, grabbed him, picked him up, said, hey, we don't do that. Calmed the whole situation down, ended up talking to him about the Lord and him about the Lord. And all these guys had to say was, man, this guy just loves the Lord. And when did he do it? On the job site. Let me get this weld real quick. Whatever they do. Noise, I don't know. Flames everywhere, hot metal. Listen, I'm a city kid from Sacramento, okay? And then just started leaving. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that I think evangelism is a whole lot simpler than we made it out to be. And I think that everybody in this room has the opportunity to impact someone's life in the way that Jesus did so much so that when people think about you, maybe they just say, man, that person just invites me over to their house all the time. They always want to eat a meal together. Hey, meet me for lunch. Hey, let's grab some coffee. Hey, let's do that. And we just talk about life and we talk about what's going on. And there's something in that person. And I know I say this all the time and I just can't figure it out, but it really seems they got something. And I think I kind of need what they got. Hey, what is it that you got? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, at the end of the day, I just got Jesus. Simple conversation. We see that in this whole idea of even the early church. Let's go to Acts chapter two, verse 42. Watch what it says right here, okay? So here's Jesus. He comes eating. He comes drinking. He's talking about the gospel. He's around sinners. He's around tax collectors. Then the early church comes in. Jesus dies. He raises. He goes up. The Holy Spirit comes down. And then this crazy stuff begins to happen. Notice what it says in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Say fellowship. Watch here again. In the breaking of bread. Sounds a lot like Jesus. And in prayers. Bible says they were first called Christians in Antioch. Why? Because when people looked at the disciples, they looked a lot like Jesus. Probably because they were breaking bread just like Jesus did. Then it says... Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods, watch here, and divided them among all as anyone had need. This is fascinating. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And then it goes on to say, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Inside of those five verses, do you see the power that comes when we decide to live life together in fellowship and in community? Did you notice that it says that as they did that, all of the needs were met. Let me ask you a question and have you raise your hand. Does anybody in this room have any needs in their life? Show of hands. Could be anything. Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Oh, you guys are good today. Look around. Okay, you ready for this? Your need being met is found somewhere in this room. Isn't that not what it just said? It says they devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, quote-unquote, to someone who preached the word of God, you're doing that today, 
It says that they broke bread together. You, you could do that today if you want to. Take someone out to lunch, offer to pay the bill. College students, you know how it rolls. Find someone in here who's older. They've got money. Go out to lunch. They'll gladly pay. Just make sure you ask some questions about life. It's, I'm telling you, it's the best thing you can do on a Sunday. Okay, they, they broke bread. They hung out together. They went to the temple. And notice what it says. I know I'm being simple. All their needs were met. Okay, so let's raise our hands again. One more time. You have a need in your life. Look around. Guess what? Your answer's found in this room. See, I don't know if I believe that. It's what it says. It says they got together. They shared their lives together. Man, what would it look like if every person in this room who had a need could say a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, a month from now, that that need was met because of a relationship in this room? Wouldn't that be amazing? And here's the thing. It could happen. Matter of fact, what I love about this church is that's already been happening. Some of you guys, man, you guys meet together and you have meals together. And you pray for one another. And you step in for one another. And you help someone move if something has to be moved or something to be transported if it has to be transported. I mean, you guys step in and you begin to do that stuff. But some of you, you don't. And I'm telling you, those needs in your life, man, you've got to get to a place where you understand the fellowship and the community that's inside of this room, and you begin to see that those needs begin to get met. Now, here's the gut punch question, okay? If your life and if your needs are met by the people in this room, does your life reflect a life of community or does it not? If it doesn't, great news, it totally can. You, you can have people in your life to be there for you, okay? Now, interesting, interesting fact, okay? Let me just kind of break this down and have some fun. Okay, anybody remember living in a home, and I know, I'm, I know this is a dangerous question. I'm not calling you old, you're just wiser, okay? Okay, do you, I'm not even looking. I'm just doing this because sometimes you do that and you get a look and other times, like some people are really happy about being old and some people aren't and that word old is not, silver foxes in the room. Do you remember a time where there was no air conditioner in your house. In other words, they didn't make air conditioners. Anybody remember that? Okay, so it's okay. So back in the day, if it was hot, where would you sit? If you're at home, where would you go? Anybody? The porch, who said the porch? Yes, sir. Silver fox in the house, yeah. You'd go to the porch. Why would you go to the porch? Well, because it wasn't as hot outside as it was in a house because the house would keep the heat in. So here's what happens. This was in a book I read not too long ago. It's fascinating. They begin to talk about how people have become less and less connected because things have gotten better, right? The first air conditioner gets installed. Air conditioner gets installed, and then what happens is, is now people go, you can put that up now, and now people go, hey, look, here's the deal. See, there you go. She's happy. Now here's what they get me to see. They begin to go, I just spoke in tongues right there. Ah, they just begin to say that, hey, you know what? I don't have to go outside anymore. I can go inside my house, turn on my air conditioner, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. So the air conditioner comes, they stay inside. The author said then there was also a change from a detached garage to an attached garage. Now, years ago, the garages were separate from the house, so you'd pull into the garage, and you'd have to do what? You'd have to walk inside your house. And when you walked inside your house, people begin 
to see you. It was the garage. Ashley, you can just follow with me anytime I say a word. There you go. She's like, do I go now? Do I not go now? I spent time finding these pictures, so we got to show them. So all of a sudden, now what happens? Garages are now attached to the house, which means you can then press a button, go inside, close the door, go inside your house. Don't have to see anybody. Nice remote control there. Then they begin to say this. Now all of a sudden, people begin to put fences up in their backyard. Do you remember a day when there was no fences in your backyard? You can go out, and some of you are like, yeah, I remember you go outside, and there's no fence, which means you can now see your neighbor. Now you can't, because we all put fences up, and now you can't see anybody, so that begins to change. And then what happens? Technology begins to bless us again. Now there's an answer machine on the phone. You guys remember that? Yeah. In other words, you don't have to pick up a blind phone call anymore. <laughs> You're like, I don't know who's calling. I'll just let it go to the voice machine. You guys remember one that looked like that right there? Yeah, super bad. Oh, man. Then it got better. Caller ID. Game changer. Right? Now it's like that person that I really don't want to talk to, I now know it's them, and I don't have to answer anymore. Yeah. Whew, there you go. <laughs> So now, look, look, I don't sit outside no more. I stay inside. I don't park my car and say hi to my neighbors. I don't go in my backyard and say hi. I slowly, slow, and I know I'm having a little bit of fun here. I slowly begin to detach from people. Then it comes to even conversations on a phone. There's an answer machine. I don't have to answer anymore. I can seclude myself. I could hide. Oh, here's caller ID. I'm really not answering that phone call. And then it goes on now you don't even have to go to a store anymore to go shopping. Have you noticed that? For nothing. It used to be, okay, you can get stuff. Now you can get groceries sent to your house. I'm worried about that. Like, is it expired? Did it get warm? What do I do? I guess what I'm trying to say is, is this. It is so easy to not have to be around people anymore. It's so much easier to seclude ourselves and hide from the world. Now, I get it. There's times in our lives where, listen, we, we need to be, I, I get all of that. But if the body of Christ is the answer to the needs that we have in our lives, and your needs aren't being met, don't you think it's about time to step outside of your box a little bit and begin to live your life in real, authentic community? Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media to hear more about what God is doing through our church at Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo. For more information, visit canyonhills.com.